Do you ever feel lonely, misunderstood? Are you looking for meaning, for community, for a place to belong? The others, they don't get you, but we do. We see how unique and special you truly are. Welcome to you, dear reader, dear dreamer. Welcome to your new favorite book club. Welcome to your new favorite book club, a podcast hosted by two close brothers living too far apart, ever searching for your new favorite book. (laughs) This exclusive club is also a podcast where my brother and I and you read a completely different book each episode, all in the search for our new favorite book. So step into the light with us. I'm Brother Danny, and I'm here with Brother Joey. Brother Joey, what does the universe want to express through you today? I am feeling so many things through this universe of ours, and I would just love to share it with everyone right now that's listening. So please come along and join us. (laughs) Uh, I could not be. I have never been more excited for a podcast episode. Uh, And that's saying something because I'm usually pretty jazzed before we talk, but Today is going to be a good one. So, without further ado, places, everyone. On this week's episode. Cultish, the language of fanaticism by Amanda Montel, by Danny and Joey. Chapter one, the pre-ramble. So if you don't already worship at the altar of Amanda Montel, you will soon be repenting because today's book is Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism, and it's her most recent bestseller, and it's going to knock your socks off. Uh, in it, Amanda analyzes the social science of cult influence, how cultish groups, this is the quote, how cultish groups from Jonestown and Scientology to Soul Cycle and social media gurus use language as the ultimate form of power. Uh, Amanda has a degree in linguistics. She's also got a dad who grew up in one of the cults she talks about in this book. And she also also happens to be a very gifted researcher and writer. So this book is on the zeitgeist and it needed to be written. And it seems like Amanda was the exact person who needed to write it. Uh, Spoiler alert. I liked this book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you liked it too. It was such a fun read for me. I really, really enjoyed the book and I feel like I learned a lot as well. Awesome. Uh, So we're going to share some of the stuff we learned. Uh, We're going to share some of the stories of our own brushes with cults along the way. But first, Joey, what were some of your biases before we went into this book? Well, some biases, I'd say, were uh, biases. Biases? Oh, yeah. Which one is it? (laughs) Biases. Which one is it for real? Speaker's choice. How fancy are you feeling? I feel like we need to get it right because linguistics yeah (laughs) if only amanda was here today (laughs) yeah i i I feel like as far as the book i i had no i had not read any amanda before but i have read amanda since and uh i uh i was pretty hooked just by the title of the book it's like a perfect title i feel like this is there's so many netflix documentaries about some of the different cults that she talks about like multi-level marketing uh the like wild wild country like there's there's a ton of stuff that is getting produced about this these topics right now whether it's the religion and the kind of doomsday cult or just the kind of like cult-ish stuff that's in our culture so like this is just right on for i think what a lot of people are curious about right now i have watched all of those netflix shows and documentaries uh, and I think I think it's something that a lot of people are ingesting these days. So I, I really do think this was a good time for this book to come out. And I'm excited for everyone to listen to our podcast and to read the book. <laughs> Me too. If they haven't already. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good time for our podcast about this book to come out too. So here we are. <laughs> in terms of my biases about it, I think just like cults in general, my, my general idea before I read this book was not getting it, like not getting how people end up in like cult cults or even in cultish things. Like I, I felt like that's not me. I don't understand. Like, are, are, is it people who are like particularly struggling with like kind of their place in the world or themselves or have had abuse or, you know, like had all these excuses for why people would have interest in participating in something like this. 
And my mind has totally shifted. Like that was like such a weirdly judgmental thing. And instead I understand how it's like, it's the same thing that drives all of us. I just feel like my mind is completely altered about cults. And instead of being afraid of them or not understanding them, I'm like, where's my cult? Totally. Totally. I, I think that's uh, that's really uh, on point with, you know, a lot of the, the messages from the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we're jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, I'm just so, <laughs> so excited to talk about this that I'm doing it. <laughs> Chapter two, sheet music. Just like Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, Two things that go well together are music and reading. <laughs> um, and in this chapter, Danny and I like to pick songs to pair with the book. Danny, what did you pick for us today? So I agonized about this choice for a while. I felt like there is a perfect song out there and I can't find it. Uh, eventually, I settled on the approach of what is a song that makes me feel something along the lines of what this book talks about for what drives cult uh, membership, the idea of like transcendence of the self and being part of a group and becoming a cell in a bigger being, kind of. So the song I ended up settling on is Wake Up by Arcade Fire. I think the, the lyrics themselves, they fit, right? It's about like examining the beliefs you've carried since you were a kid and waking up from those and realizing the ways in which they don't serve you. So applicable just lyrically. But the meaning of the song for me is particularly... Uh, connected because I saw Arcade Fire uh, at a concert in a church in Montreal probably like 50 years ago now. I don't know how old I am anymore. <laughs> and when they played this song, it was near the end of the show. It was like super, they turned all the uh, lights out and there were, this is when there were still lighters instead of cell phones. So tons of lighters up in the air and Arcade Fire marched out from the stage into the like pews of the church and was like parading with this like lantern holding up in the air, singing this song. And the whole crowd is singing along. The chorus is like this ecstatic group chant of like, oh, and everyone was singing together. Like the whole church was like pulsing together. And it was for sure the most religious experience that church has seen maybe ever. Uh, definitely the most religious experience I have felt in a church ever. It was beautifully spiritually transcendent and uniting and ex like ecstatic so wake up by arcade fire just try and imagine the ecstasy that could come from oh-ohing in a big crowd all together in the dark That's great, Dan. And it's so true that, you know, as much as language uh, can be a, a manner of controlling people, um, it, that music also has that effect and chanting, uh, you know, is, is a part of cults and religions. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just the music, like no words are needed, right? The, it's the O-O-O that's the part that stands out the most to me. Totally. Yeah. Music, dance. That kind of makes me feel like at the end of a Habs game when you're watching the Montreal Canadiens and they are just about to win the game and then the whole bell center where the Habs play starts chanting, hey, 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 goodbye. Oh, yeah. Na, 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 na. <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. Sports fandom is definitely a, a cultish <laughs> phenomenon. Oh, Totally. I, uh, I picked a song. Yeah, tell us about your song. I picked a song that is pretty on the nose. And I think I picked it because it's just it was just too perfect not to. <laughs> um, so my song is actually specifically a performance of said song in a movie. It is I Put a Spell on You 
Mm. by Bette Midler singing it at the adult <laughs> dance in Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. <laughs> totally. Very scary you know, part of that movie. I... Very scary part. The, the parents are out of control, <laughs> but they're in control because Bette Midler has been putting a spell on them and she is using her words and the lyrics of the song to control the crowd. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nailed it. That's perfect. <laughs> totally um, captures the phenomenon <laughs> captures the phenomenon but also it's it's a really enjoyable scene to watch in an enjoyable movie because this is not a movie podcast and uh i i i found that this book was also really really entertaining uh and it was funny at points and it as much i learned as much as i laughed throughout the book and i'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit more in uh, a future chapter I put a spell on you, and now you're mine. You can't stop the things I do. I ain't lying. Been 300 years, right down to the day. Now the witch is back, and there's hell to pay. I put a spell. On you. Nice song and nice memory thinking about Hocus Pocus. I haven't seen that movie in ages. And well, don't worry. I, I might have a trivia from, from Hocus Pocus later. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Chapter 3. In a word. All right, so today we're going to talk about this book or the experience of reading this book by summarizing it in a single word. Joey, what word did you select or create for this moment? Well, I am using a portmanteau as I, I find I often do. It's one of the best ways to create a word, really. Is is there any other way to create a word? (laughs) I guess there is. Amanda (laughs) can teach us more about this. Uh, So my word is linguisertation. (laughs) (laughs) Because this this is just a very, very well-researched dissertation on linguistics. Yeah. Put those two words together and you get linguistertation. (laughs) But as much as I say it's a dissertation, it it actually, as I mentioned before, she, she does bring in some personal anecdotes and stories that, that really were an added bonus. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's cool that the dissertation kind of gives it the respect it deserves in terms of it being like a well-researched book. It feels chock-a-block full of quotes and uh, relevant uh, data. It feels like it kind of really uh, took a nice broad view of the horizon of what could be included in cultishness. Like, you know, I'm sure there's lots of stuff she didn't include, uh, but the things she does give you a good sense of the whole lay of the land. So um, serious, a serious work, but that's also fun to read, like you said, for sure. What, uh, well, thank you. Uh, Yeah, I, uh, I, she also had like some, all these great um, interviews that she had, that she, what's the word I'm looking for? She met with a lot of people that were the perfect interviews for this book. Hmm. And she includes a lot of those in there as well. Totally. What word did you pick for us, Dan? So I didn't make up a word today. I'm going with one that already exists uh, because it just felt right enough that there was no need to uh, fabricate. So my word is enlightening. I call it that because it deals with some heavy topics, right? Especially especially the first half, but even the second half. Um, but especially the first half where we're talking more about like doomsday cults or cults that had mass suicides associated with them. So that's, it gets dense and scary. And like this is people's traumas and stuff. But it, it lightens them enough while still being respectful of the story and of the meaning and the loss that comes with those stories. Um, it's, it makes them readable. So it's enlightening to these heavy topics. Uh, and it also helped change my opinion, like I was alluding to about cults and cult members. So I feel like it enlightened my perspective while I was reading it. And it enlightened a new goal for me, 
which is, like I said, to find my cult uh, or cults. I'm open, but we'll start with one. Do you think you're a part of any cults currently? For sure I am. I'm a psychiatrist, a therapist. So like those are absolutely worlds of a very specific, like uh, specific access, specific vocabulary, specific ways of understanding the meaning of life and how to get better and what that means, right? Like, so there's this whole philosophy that I kind of am a proponent of in my work. Probably other things too, but that's the one that comes to mind off the top of my head. What about you? Oh, totally, totally. And I, you know, I think I, I have some fun stories coming later of actual cults that I've had brushes with. Nice. Uh, but I think as far as, you know, less dangerous cults in my life, as an actor, I feel like I'm in the cult of actors. And uh, that is something that is very real and sometimes uh, hard to digest uh, when you're in a, a group full, a room full of actors. Uh, it can be, it can be pretty intense. And, uh, and now I, I definitely find myself in the Amanda Montello cult, which is, I think, what most of her readers find themselves in. And I, I see a lot of people making that joke on, on Instagram and, uh, and on, on the websites, on the, on their blog, the blog posts, my, my blogspot.com um, <laughs> of, uh, of just people reading the book and saying like, oh, yes, I am now a part of the Amanda Montello cult. I'm going to read everything that she puts out. Chapter four, Potpourri. <laughs> this is Potpourri in the form of everyone's favorite quiz show with the correct answer coming in the form of a question. Joey and I are going to play a game and share a few tasty trivia tidbits from there. And I will say before we get in, first of all, if you want some good cult trivia, you should read this book. So my first question for you, Joey, or the first answer. Are you ready? Ready. D. D. Palmer, inventor of this spinal realignment alternative medicine practice, credits messages he received from a ghost as his source for the invention of this practice. What is chiropractic? That is correct. Ding, 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 ding. Woohoo! Oh, slam dunk. <laughs> Shacked it. Uh, yeah, he, did you know that? No, tell, tell, tell us more. Okay. So Daniel David Palmer, uh, says he quote, received chiropractic from the other world from a deceased medical physician named Dr. Jim Atkinson. Here are some quotes. The knowledge and philosophy given me by Dr. Jim Atkinson, an intelligent spiritual being, together with explanations of phenomena, principles resolved from causes, effects, powers, laws, and utility appealed to my reason. The method by which I obtained an explanation of certain physical phenomena from an intelligence in the spiritual world is known in biblical language as inspiration. In a great measure, the chiropractor's adjuster was written under such spiritual promptings. He's also said, we must have a religious head, one who is the founder, as did Christ, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Mrs. Eddy, Martin Luther, and others who have founded religions. I am the fountain head. I am the founder of chiropractic in its science, in its art, in its philosophy, and in its religious phase. Wow. Wow. The fountain head. <laughs> wow. Right? And that's, those are some big comparisons to make there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. I wonder where the Netflix doc about D.D. Palmer is. Seriously. Uh, copyright. Trademark. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's my first question, and it blew my mind. Second question is not potpourri format, but I figured we can stretch our wings a little bit today. Let's. Okay. So one of the things that she talks about in this book is... Uh, the system one thinking versus system two thinking from uh, Kahneman, who I've talked about before on the pod ages ago. Um, and system one being kind of like your fast reflex thinking, reacting to things where you don't really participate cognitively in the process of making decisions. And system two is like my slower, methodical, I'm working through the info, I'm making a decision. So she talks about how system one is really driving a lot of the experiences that pull us towards 
cults and keep us in cults. Um, so Kahneman made a quiz to, to test whether you live more in system one or system two um, and to kind of like trick you into realizing that you, you use more system one than you think you do, basically. So here's question one. They're, they're both kind of mathy, which is an unfortunate addition to uh, these questions. But they're, it's, it's not comp- You don't need a calculator. You don't need a pen and paper. You just have to think it through. All right. <laughs> question one. A bat and a ball cost $1.10 in total. The bat cost $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Ten cents. That's system one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm system one. <laughs> I didn't need to didn't need to answer this math problem to figure that out. <laughs> okay. Wait. A, so they, they cost one dollar and ten cents in total. Yeah. The bat costs one dollar more, than, more the than the than the ball. There it is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A dollar more. Well, I understand it now. I'm not gonna know the answer though. Okay. It's <laughs> it's the ball costs five cents. And the bat cost a dollar and five cents, and together it, it makes a dollar and ten cents. I mean, I was close. <laughs> yes, you were close. <laughs> uh, all right, question two. <laughs> you still want to do question two, or do you feel like we da- kind of Daniel solved this here? Cunningham, more like Daniel Cunningham. <laughs> oh, Daniel, tricky, come on, tricky. man! Come on, man, Daniel. <laughs> all right yeah let's do it let's right. do it i'll try to i'll try to system two this one okay you're ready you're primed now you know how to think about this if it takes five machines five minutes to make five widgets or thingies or whatever how long would it take a hundred machines to make a hundred widgets or thingies mm-hmm I'm gonna write this down. <laughs> Do the classic X thing. Solve for X. Five makes five. A hundred. Wait, what is it? <laughs> five, five machines take five minutes to make five widgets. How long would a hundred machines take to make a hundred widgets? Oh, that doesn't. My X trick doesn't work on that. A <laughs> hundred machines to make how many widgets? As soon as you get numbers in here, I'm not going to understand a thing that's happening. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm going to give it to you one more time. You you can do this. Okay. It takes five machines, five minutes to make five thingies, right? So in five minutes, five machines can make five thingies. Yeah. How long does it take a hundred machines to make a hundred thingies? Five minutes. Yes! (laughs) Yes! <laughs> you did it! Yes. <laughs> that was a good guess. You still get it's points. You, you don't you have to show people, your work. You think people are going to say 100, but you do. it's really five. It is really five. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> if it takes five machines five minutes to make five widgets, then it takes one machine five minutes to make one widget. And each of those machines made one widget in five minutes. Mm, right mm-hmm. so yeah. that means it takes five minutes for any machine to make a widget so if you have a hundred machines you want to make a hundred thingies each of them only needs five minutes to make one so five minutes you've made a hundred naturally yeah naturally naturally yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right system one and system two there we go and and so most people are system one in that find themselves into cults well i think so the idea is that it's not that you you are only one way or the other it's that like we all spend most of our life in system one. Uh, system one is our shortcut system for minimizing how much work our brain is having to do in any one moment to be understanding what's happening in reality. So that's where we live. And then very occasionally we can push ourselves into system two or something pushes us and we can be more conscious about what we're deciding. But even then there's lots of system one stuff happening underneath. So system one is where we all live and it is what pulls us towards lots of yeah things and for sure which is what amanda was saying yeah exactly yeah yeah uh so yeah those are my little uh quizlets nice well i have some brain busters for you yeah in 2004 a former high-level member of scientology revealed that 
these two show creators were targeted and surveyed after one of their episodes spoofed the Church of Scientology. Uh, this is good. Uh, so it's the, I think it's the South Park people. I don't know that, that is, Matt that and Trey, correct. I think. Yeah, I don't know yeah, their yeah, last yeah. names. Yeah, Trey but... Stone and Matt Parker. Oh, nice. Well done. Also known for basketball. Um... <laughs> Academy Award winner, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they have an episode where the character Stan joins the church and was believed to be the reincarnation of L. Ron Hubbard. That's really funny. <laughs> and then my next one that I have right now is just is just to get a story out because I feel like it's time for one of our our cult brush stories. Oh yeah, we've been alluding to them for a while. Let's do it. In 2014, I attended an introductory presentation to this cult famously known for having Vancouver actors in it. I don't know. What is it? What is Nexium? Oh yeah, you went to yeah. a thing. I went to a Nexium meeting, Dan. No way. Yeah, I. Uh, so this was in 2014, and uh, my roommate uh, Brandon was working at a bar, and one of the other bartenders there was also an actor, and she was uh, talking about these executive success programs that she was in, or this executive success program that she was in. And she's like, "It's not suspicious like, language at all." As soon as she's like, "As soon as I started this, like, no." joke like i started booking so many more acting jobs and she was working a lot so we're like okay like fine like let's go check it out and uh we went and it was on west georgia in this like basement and uh mark vincente was the one presenting wow yeah yeah Dan, and i had no idea until like years later anyway i'll get to that but so we went and there was this whole presentation um and it was kind of eerie and they were like they had this whole bit with a pencil where he's holding a pencil and he's like who thinks i think it's probably some some weird thinking stuff but it's like who thinks i can break this pencil with my pinky and it's like nobody answered nobody said yes and then like he just like karate chops it with his pinky and broke the pencil um <laughs> it was really weird you can have this power too <laughs> <laughs> dr evil pinky <laughs> The, the meeting like ends up like separating you into groups and they separate you from if you went with anyone. So Brandon and I got separated into different groups. Oh, and, spooky. Yeah, and there's uh, people that were part of the executive success program, now known to be Nexium, um, that are there and they're higher, like, higher ups and they start saying like, oh, like, well, you know, I was, they're trying to get you to join. And I was saying like, no, like I really can't. And I just kept saying no, but they kept switching their tactic. They're like, well, how much, how much is your career worth you? How much are your dreams worth? You know, don't you have people that believe in you that can help you pay? And I was like, wow. well, I can afford it. Don't you have a visa? You can put it on credit and like, you can slowly pay it back. Like they really, and it was like, it got wow. really intense to the point where like, <laughs> as Brad and I left and we were walking home, we we're like, what the? was that that was so crazy like they were really pushy like wow. really really pushy about trying to get us to, to to sign up and to give them all of our money um which i'm thankful to say we didn't so then i totally forgot about this until katie was listening to this podcast and this would have been like five years later after this one meeting that i went to and Katie was listening to this podcast and she was talking about it and she was talking about these Vancouver actors, um, like people from Smallville that were in it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, and, and then she's talking about the executive success program that people <laughs> use to get into it. And I was like, oh, my God, this seems really familiar. And then I went through like my, my Facebook messages with Brandon and I, I have the poster for the event that I attended. Oh, wow. And then we watched the documentary and I was like, oh, this documentary is made by Mark Vincente, who was like now left Nexium and he's making this doc about it. I was like, that's the guy. That's the guy that broke the pencil with his pinky. <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Joey, that's wild. I'm so glad you made it out. System two your way out of there. Damn, woo, no math involved in that one. Chapter five, potent quotables 
Danny, I'm really excited for this chapter. I know we probably will go on too long as we usually do, <laughs> but both of us really enjoyed this book as we've made very clear. And, uh, and there's a lot of different aspects of the writing that I'd like to talk about with you. Do you want to, how about we start with the first line? Oh, that's a great way that? to start this. Yeah, we should always start with that. To begin at the beginning. So first sentence of the book is, yes. it started with a prayer. And then she goes into telling a story about uh, Kundalini yoga. And that's kind of like her entryway into talking about cults in general. I thought it was fine. I mean, it's nice to start with a specific story. I didn't love it as a beginning. I kind of expected her to do what she does at the end of the book and what mm. we did at the beginning of this episode, which is recruit us into the book a little bit more. Yeah. What about you? First first sentence. The actual, right before the first sentence is part one, repeat after me. Mm. So that it kind of does in that way because of, you know, what part one is. And then she does do that more and more. But I see what you're saying. But that being said, I um, I liked it started with a prayer because I'm like, oh, yeah, religions are cults. Well, yeah. As someone who is atheist, I think it's uh, I'm like excited to dive in and hear more about religions, you know, and uh, how culty they could be. You know, I'm looking for someone to validate my opinion. It's a biases confirmation. <laughs> well, I validate that opinion, Joey. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, isn't that the thing, right? That like a, a cult is a religion that hasn't gained enough members or a religion is a cult that has gained enough members to be uh, legitimized. Totally. So I, I did like, I do like that that first uh, that first sentence to start it off. Cool. Uh, in terms of the, once you get into it, the writing, we've kind of already said this, right? But like, it's a good mix of like well-researched and uh, personable. I don't know that there was any that I was like, oh, that was so like, I'm laughing out loud right now. But they were light enough that it made it so that it didn't ever feel like uh, heavy trying to get through the book. It didn't like hurt to push through. Like it can sometimes hurt when you're reading a really emotionally intense book. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it flies. Yeah, I, I picked out one of her, uh, uh, a bit of Amanda's playfulness. Okay, what do you got? Um, through the book. Um, it's actually one of the quotes is, it's, um, that I picked out here for it is near the beginning of the book. And she's, she's you know, spouting cool facts about different uh, cults through history. And then she gives her own little, like, uh, personal opinion uh, and joke in, like, up in uh, parenthetic, parenthetical statements. So Nice. <clears throat> Cults of the time included groups like the Oneida community, a camp of polyamorous communists in upstate New York. Sounds fun. The Harmony Society, an egalitarian fellowship of science lovers in Indiana. How lovely. And, my favorite, a short-lived vegan farming cult in Massachusetts called Fruitlands, which was founded by philosopher Amos Bronson Alcott, an abolitionist, women's rights activist, and father of little women author Louisa May Alcott. Which is great. Trivia. Well, that goes along with what I was saying, right? That's like, you know, it's not necessarily like laugh out loud funny, but it's warm and personable. And it feels like it feels like you're friends with Amanda Montel and like you went out for a drink and she's like sharing some of these awesome things she happened to learn about while researching this book, but sharing it with a friend. Okay. All right. Something else I think is, let's see. I, yeah. So like the insights that I got from reading this, right? Like there are, you can boil down, pull out specific sentences that she is summarizing some of the arguments of the book. And one of them that really struck home for me is you cannot make someone believe something they don't want to believe. Uh, and, you know, to, to push against the idea of brainwashing, right? Like that I came into expecting that cults are somehow doing that. And yet it's not that at all, right? It's, working with working alongside what we already want to see in the world or feel or about ourselves or whatever um, and amplifying those desires and fears and it's like the same as my my practice and therapy and stuff is like motivational interviewing which we've talked about before is like a approach about how to help people change and the whole thing is about like 
you can't just force people to change. Like it's never going to work. No treatment approach that is about like, just do this, just telling someone do something different or believe something different. It's never going to work. You have to work with exactly what they see already in themselves and in the world and amplify those things. And that's how you make, make it to change. So I uh, love that. Yeah. yeah. I also found that really interesting because, you know, it's so easy just to say brainwashing. And Amanda does talk about that and how brain, you know, just saying brainwashing, she doesn't like it because it's kind of um, what she calls a, a thought ending cliche. Mm. Right. It's one of those, um, yeah. which I, I, you know, was another insight that I, that I had found in it for sure as well. It's just, it's, it, it makes perfect sense. Like that there is some piece of people that wants to believe these things. Totally. Yeah. Uh, thought terminating cliches is, uh, or ending cliches, however she phrases it is an interesting idea that I can't help but notice everywhere now that I've understand the concept of it. Like the amount of times I've heard someone say it is what it is. Agree to like, disagree. Yeah. 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 It's a real thing. I've definitely used them before when I just don't feel like talking about like something. <laughs> yeah. It's not just a thought terminating cliche. It's a conversation terminating cliche. It's like, you know yeah. what? I don't really want to keep talking about this thing that you're upset about. So let's just say it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, one of the other insights since we're on that, that, that I learned about through this book and I found really fascinating um, was the behavioral economic theory of loss aversion. Mm. Do you remember yep. that one? Yep. That's in the world of Kahneman here. Oh, great. My guy. <laughs> yeah, your guy. So here's the quote. The behavioral economic theory of loss aversion says that human beings generally feel losses of time, money, pride, etc., much more acutely than gains. So, psycho psycholo so psychologically, we're willing to do a lot of work to avoid looking defeats in the eye. Irrationally, we tend to stay in negative situations from crappy relationships to lousy investments to cults, telling ourselves that a win is just around the corner. So we don't have to admit to ourselves that things just didn't work out and we should cut our losses. It's an emotional example of the sunk cost fallacy or people's tendency to think that resources already spent justify spending even more. We've been in it this long. We might as well keep going. Oh, yeah. I, and I think it's, I mean, it's, it's so true. And, you know, people really uh, suffer the losses. And it's a good reminder to celebrate the good things of, of whatever size they are. Just celebrate, celebrate the small things that, that are good. Yeah, totally. I think that's a nice reframe of it. I, I, when I hear it, all I can think about is like how hard it is to stop when you do feel sunk, right? Like in gambling or what, in poker, right? I'm like, we're halfway through a hand. I didn't have anything from the beginning. I've been bluffing. I've put like half my chips in already. Everybody else is still playing. And I'm like, okay, this isn't working. What do I do? I'm not going to fold. Like I'm, I'm halfway in already. I'm just going all in now. And it's I like, no, bluff. you're going to fold. <laughs> Me too. I, I bluff myself out of the game within a turn or two. Uh, so. <laughs> Absolutely terrible but, at this game. And part of that is sunk cost fallacy. But if you win, make sure you celebrate that win. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best quotes in the book, I think, are also other people's quotes that she puts in the book. There's a lot of them that I could pull. This is one random one that I pulled out because I thought it was like really put its finger on something that I hadn't gotten, which is it's from Tara Isabella, the book Strange Rights. America is not secular but spiritually self-focused. In a social media-centered society, we've all been rendered at once cult leader and follower. Uh, the idea that it's like literally called followers had never clicked for me before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and is just like, <laughs> whoa. It's just like right in your face and we don't even, we don't even know it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's right there. Yeah, I feel like the next app is just going to be called Cult, and we're going to be like, how do you sign up? <laughs> you should copyright that. <laughs> the other insight is that we need a deep spiritual experience and a community experience. She says that near the end. She kind of says that a couple of times throughout it, that it's like this thing that seems so weird and that we all have this morbid curiosity about cults and how could people join cults? How do you get in there? How do you get out? What happens to you when you're in there? It's like, this is just human. It's just wanting to belong, to connect, 
to be a part of a big, bigger thing than our scary little lives. And that's a beautiful impulse that is like community creating, right? Like what is a cult if not a short version of a culture? And like, we, we all want to be members of cultures. That's it. I mean, that's, I, I was going to get into that a little later. It's like when she, she's talking about right at the beginning of the book, the etymology of the word cult. Yeah. Culture and cultivation. Yeah. I'm just sitting here with a smile on my face. I just feel like it was such a, I really didn't expect that experience. I expected to have fun doing this kind of voyeuristic roadkill impulse of like, look at this violence that is out there. Look at this like weirdness and manipulation that is out there and like feel grateful that's not me. And it, it wasn't that process at all. It was more like, I guess feel even more grateful it's not me because it could be me in any one of these stories. I'm not better than any of these people that have been pulled into any of these situations. Totally, totally. And like, sometimes a cult might not be bad. Maybe it'd be fun to be a part of something where, you know, like you're saying, like, we want to, we want to be in one. Uh, one other uh, comedic one that I had was, <clears throat> roses are red, money is green. The American dream is a pyramid scheme. Yeah, so good. So here's here's an example of just like a sentence that makes me smile because of her use of language. And yet, as good as it might feel to write anyone off who buys the grandiloquent poppycock of direct sales as a hopeless dunce, the truth is that this toxically positive rhetoric is fundamentally baked into American society. Yeah. Yeah. Great. First of all, that's a good example of an, a really great sentence. Like it's just a nice sentence and i like that she goes in on capitalism in this book i didn't expect that it would zoom out to that extent but oh, it, she, na she nails it she nails it chapter six <laughs> question authority joey i couldn't i i couldn't narrow it down i actually have a bunch of questions for her um but it's a good thing that we have her here on the line to answer a few questions amanda take it away Amanda, are you there? Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Chapter 7. Book ends. I I loved the, the organization of the book. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, from language used to speak about cults in the beginning, and we talk about what we were saying, like the etymology of the word cult, cult itself. Um, and then it goes into the language used in cults and she speaks about all the famous cults like Jonestown and Scientology, and then goes into what could be considered everyday cults like CrossFit and SoulCycle. And I, I just really love the way that she broke it down and where she starts, where she takes us. And the end of the book, I loved how it just comes together with a neatly tied bow, like we were saying, where she kind of reminds us to stay vigilant and, and I think this is the quote you were looking for, and I actually have it written down. Oh, great. <clears throat> Above all else, it's important to maintain a vigilant twinkle in your eye. Mm. That tingle in your brain that tells you there's some degree of metaphor and make-believe here, and that your identity comes not from one swami or single-minded ideology, but from the vast amalgam of influences, experiences, and language that make up who you are. As long as you hang on to that, I think it's possible to engage with certain cultish groups, knowing that at the end of the day, when you come home or close the app, strip off the group's linguistic uniform and start speaking like yourself again, you're not all in. Yeah. And you know, she goes on to talk about how she thinks uh, when she started reading this book, she thought she was gonna come out uh, anti-social and a misanthropic version of herself um but she came out with a bigger sense of compassion which is like you said she took us along there with her she really she really pulled me with her and, and i went on that same journey that she went on researching it and it just took me way less time than it probably took her <laughs> totally thanks for the shortcut <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if you want a short and shortcut this is what the podcast is <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 8, Lightning Round. 
All right, this is just a quick round at the end here that we've saved for any little tidbits that we weren't able to fit into the episode that we really wanted to share with each other and with you. Uh, so Joey, we got 30 seconds on the clock. Why don't you go ahead and take us away with your first lightning round? But the, the first thing that I've written down in my lightning round here is not to do with cultish. It's actually to do with mayflies. I would like to start off by saying, hey, yeah, it's to do with mayflies. It's I have found the dirty short life insect <laughs> that we couldn't come up with last podcast. I don't know how we didn't think of it. So the title for Mayflies should have been Maggots. <laughs> um, I have a few more, but hit, hit me with yours. Okay. Um, so just another quick insight that I wasn't able to mention is that education doesn't make you immune to magical thinking. It just makes you susceptible to different kinds of magical thinking. It's based on a study that she talks about showing that poor, less educated people are more likely to believe in ghosts or haunted houses, etc. And then the more educated people tend to believe in spiritual mysticism, like the power of the mind to heal itself. So no one's better than anybody else. No one is like better at being in system two than anybody else. We just have different things that we already kind of believe based on where we are in life. And we're susceptible to uh, moving with those beliefs and defending those beliefs. So it's all just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my next next one. Uh, I mentioned hocus pocus early in the podcast. Here's a here's one more little potpourri for you, Dan. <clears throat> Nothing to do with cultish, just okay. because we were talking about it before. <laughs> Jason Marsden, the actor who voiced Thackeray Binks, the cat in Hocus Pocus, also voiced this goofy character. Goofy character. Yeah. Max. Yeah! No way! I know, I thought that was so interesting when I uh, when I saw that. <laughs> so I figured you'd like that. I don't know if the listeners care, but that was one specifically for you. Nice. That's from the Goofy movie, which is a uh, a musical and a work of art. <laughs> I, got, I got one more, and it's actually a question I wanted to ask Amanda as well. As a linguist, Amanda, and Danny as not a linguist, um, what is your favorite word? Well, so the word that came to mind in general was prestidigitation, which I could barely even get out. Prestidigitation. Prestidigitation. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. I love it because it's a magic trick just trying to get that word pronounced properly. And it means to do magic. And it sounds kind of like presto, presto, and then digit. Like you do something presto with your fingers. Yeah. Uh, so like it, you can hear the meaning in the word, but also it's like a fancy and funny sounding word all at once. So I like a fancy, funny, uh, meaning filled word. And that's one of them. That's a great, that's a great one that's come, that's a pull off the top of your head. <laughs> I don't know where that one came from. And then I pressed the digitated that out of, uh, out of <laughs> <laughs> what's yours. Do you want to do favorite word or favorite swear word? No, I don't have a favorite swear, but favorite word is um is shenanigans i think is one of mm. them and i think it's it's partly to do with the with a move with the movie super troopers but it's also just because of what it means and like kind of the like the mischief it implies and mischief is a good one too mischief is another cool word uh, but i used to always say lagoon lagoon was always one that you know where the, the many times people ask me this question i would always say lagoon 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 why lagoon I don't it's know. Kind of a gross word, goon. <laughs> like goo. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds gooey. But I think I think it's lagoon. I think it's the image that I see when I hear the word, and I picture kind of like an oasis, like turquoisey blue water with like green ferns everywhere. Mm. So I think it's the image that the word conjures. Mm. That's good. Cool. I think that's it. Oh, well, no, I wanted to tell my cult stories quickly. Hey, Danny, okay. tell me about some of the cult brushes you've had. My closest brush is one where I actually participated a little bit. And oh. I only found out that it qualified in the cult world and had some nefarious stuff going on because of this book. And that is the Shambhala Meditation Center. I'm not familiar. Uh, she talks about it in the book a little bit. Um, Remind me. And they're kind of like the party Buddhists is how she frames it mm, which also okay. i didn't get that impression when i was 
uh, going there. So I was just, I can't remember where I was, but this was in Vancouver and Boston. I think they were located in both at the time, but I was like looking, trying to get into meditation, wanting to find like a space that would kind of teach me something about it or get to do a group practice and super sketch about trying to find something like that because it feels like you're asking to find a cult, right? Um, and I, I found Shambhala and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go to like a, a free information session slash like 20 minute group meditation thing. So I went and we meditated and that was nice. And then we were all kind of like hanging out talking. And I noticed that there were these portraits of people hanging with like garlands of flowers around them and stuff. And I was like, that feels weird. This feels, it's feel, I'm getting a weird vibe. You know what? I would say this feels like a cult. Maybe this is just an aspect of Buddhism that I'm not familiar with. I don't want to be judgmental or whatever. So I didn't say anything. I went home. I Googled them some more and spent some time on the website. Like, does it say the word cult anywhere here? Like, <laughs> well, they wouldn't. <laughs> and they, they didn't. And I was like, that's entrapment. You have to tell me if you're a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter nine, book marks. So Joey, question number one, the all important question. Is this your new favorite book? If you haven't gotten it through the rest of the podcast, yes, this is definitely my new favorite book. (laughs) I loved the book. I loved her style of writing. I loved the content. Uh, I, I loved the takeaway. It was, and the journey that it brought me on. It is definitely my new favorite book. 10 out of 10. It's funny. It's whip smart. A page turner. Please go read this book if you haven't already. And then come back and listen to the podcast again. (laughs) I love it. Just keep going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, back and forth. And like, also feel free to send Danny or I or our Instagram some voice memos of your own opinion of this book. And Danny, this is the question. Is this your new favorite book? Yeah, it is. <laughs> we did it. Wow, a double new favorite. That's the first for a uh, first for for our podcast. I know we've done this pre book pre pod book club, but this yeah. is the first for the podcast. It is a first for the podcast. We did it. I am so proud of us. I'm so proud of Amanda. Uh, I'm so proud of everybody who participated in the making of this book. We did it. Congratulations, everybody. (laughs) Podcast is over now. We found it. (laughs) (laughs) So this has been your new favorite book club. And remember, the first rule of book club is you do talk about your new favorite book club. Please subscribe, rate, review. It helps us grow. Uh, We'll talk to you again very soon. And until then... Keep your hearts, minds, and books open. Bye, buddy. Bye.